focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, they are back in the studio, the Sochi sisters in Kwonzoa and Chejihi. Guys, welcome back. Hello. Good evening. Good to be back for the first time in, I think, a month. Welcome back. Has it been a month? I think so, yes. Very nice. You know, because you were were gone, (laughs) Chihi filled in. Right. And... She did a good job, and so she's never going to fill in ever again. <laughs> oh, oh, she filled in for SJ while I was gone, right? Yeah, that's right. And so uh, I did actually tune in, and she really did a good job. And so three people that Thank have you. sat in this seat um, <laughs> in this in the studio today. Well, it's good to see you guys once again. Well, we're going to start things off with the trip to the Middle East by President Yoon Sagar. Of course, President Yoon returning home on Thursday after visiting Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, to diversify economic cooperation and create business opportunities for South Korean firms. Gee, you're going to start things off with the updates on the accomplishments made during the president's state visit to Qatar. What do you have for us? Right. So during a two-day state tr- visit to Qatar, President Yoon Seok-yeol and Qatari Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani advanced the Korea-Qatar relationship from a comprehensive partnership to a comprehensive strategic partnership. Now, this expansion signifies a shift from energy and construction to include security and defense cooperation as well. And following a memorandum of understanding, both nations will increase communication in the diplomatic and security sectors and expand defense and military collaboration. Qatar, a significant defense importer, and South Korea have agreed to share defense information as well as initiate a joint committee uh, marking foundational steps towards tangible results as indicated by the presidential office. Uh, President Yoon, being the first Korean president to make a state visit to Qatar, emphasized its importance as the countries approach their 50th uh, diplomatic anniversary, and he envisions this visit as a chance to review and plan for another half-century of mutual growth, reinforcing Korea's commitment to supporting Qatar's National Vision 2030. Amir uh, Tamim expressed the value for strengthening ties with Korea and conveyed eagerness to work closely with President Yoon. And after their meeting, Yoon invited Amir Tamim for a state visit to South Korea next year. Uh, And a landmark $3.9 billion contract was signed between Hyundai Heavy Industries and Qatar Energy for constructing 17 LNG carriers. And this record contract boosts the company's global LNG carrier order uh, share from 74% to 81%. So that's almost uh, 10%. And both leaders aim to deepen cooperation in the LNG industry, encompassing uh, construction, operation, and maintenance. And South Korea, having imported 21% of its total LNG from Qatar last year, regards uh, the country as its second largest supplier after Australia. Now, the summit also acknowledged the need to broaden cooperation in areas like infrastructure, investment, agriculture, culture, and health. And they agreed to execute cooperation programs that leverage each country's strengths to benefit their citizens. And Amir Tamim uh, expressed a 
keen interest in collaborating with South Korea in technology as well, and port and airport operations, food security, uh, healthcare, as reported by the presidential office. Again, I mean, uh, Qatar is a major trading partner uh, with uh, South Korea. And uh, looking at some of the numbers here, you talked about the LNG uh, contract that was signed. Uh, the two countries ranking second largest source of LNG imports following Australia, mm-hmm. Qatar. Uh, additionally, Qatar is the eighth largest supplier of crude oil to South Korea, uh, represents the eighth largest market for South Korea's overseas construction projects. And this is big. And uh, we mentioned yesterday that although Saudi Arabia uh, might have bigger projects in store, uh, Qatar is actually growing very, very quickly. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the economy is uh, growing rapidly over in the Middle East, which is why there's uh, so much projects to be won amongst these South Korean conglomerates. But what other matters did the two leaders discuss other than the economy and industry? Well, the two leaders also discussed the Middle East situation and global issues, agreeing to enhance cooperation on regional matters as well. Uh, President Yoon hoped for Qatar's mediation and easing regional tensions and also asked for their firm stance on North Korea's nuclear and missile activities. And regarding this, Amir Tamim backed the Korean uh, Peninsula policy as well. And following the meeting, uh, five MOUs were signed, uh, and this covered smart farms, high-tech construction, national spatial information SMEs and trade and investment. And Kim Tae-yo from the National Security Office emphasized that the relationship has evolved to mutual cooperation, uh, expanding beyond energy and construction into diverse sectors. Let's uh, move on to a different issue here. Uh, This over in the United States. I think this piece of news that certainly uh, all Koreans can be quite proud of. Uh, November 22nd uh, is Kimchi Day uh, in a number of actually countries out there, uh, not just here in Korea. Uh, But uh, shortly enough, uh, the day is expected to be uh, designated as Kimchi Day over in the U.S. uh, through a resolution that they're trying to adopt over at the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, So uh, let's get the details of that. Sir, you might be asking why we talk about kimchi like as a headline, but I mean, it is a big news, I would have to say, because, you know, kimchi is really part of Koreans' life and almost every uh, meal in the morning uh, for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Today, Today, actually not, but you know, I'm European. Actually, you know, I, I told you that I was uh, away for almost a month, right? Uh-huh. And I was kimchi. in Canada. And I, I'm i actually the kind of person who doesn't really miss kimchi, even if I'm abroad. But, okay, I should have not said this right now. But however, the fermented dish, uh, it really comes with almost every Korean meal. I think... Every Korean meal comes with kimchi, right? If you go almost. to any, yeah, they right. There is no dish. meal where I would cannot imagine kimchi. Mm. But anyways, it's likely to have its own day in the U.S. as a resolution for the designation of November twenty second as Kimchi Day has been sent to the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. According to the Museum of Korean American Heritage, on Wednesday, the U.S. House Oversight Committee is predicted to introduce the resolution on December. 6th for adoption. And this resolution does not need a vote, as both Democratic and Republican leaders saw eye to eye on the adoption in a bid to show appreciation to the Koreans that settled in America. So also in appreciation to SJ and his family, kind of? What? No? 
<laughs> for the because they uh, it's it's to show appreciation for Koreans that settled in the U.S. Soa hasn't been on air for a month, and so she's kind of losing it today. But well, uh, it seems like you were not like you know focusing on me. <laughs> anyway, the Korean American Congresswoman Young Kim had submitted the resolution with backing from over a dozen lawmakers. Last year, the resolution did not pass through the House. Now, the main reasons for the designation. First, uh, the Korean traditional side dish has become popular around the world, including in the U.S., and uh, I think much of that has to do with the Hallyu or the Korean wave. But also it comes timely, with this year being the 120th anniversary of the first Korean immigrants in the U.S., which are said to have contributed largely to U.S. communities. Plus, this year marks the 70th anniversary of bilateral ties between South Korea and the U.S., and that uh, we have been mentioning quite a lot this year. The resolution mentions how the preparation of kimchi kimjang has been already recognized by UNESCO on the representative list of the intangible culture, cultural heritage of humanity. What's notable is that this would be the first federal level designation of kimchi day in the U.S., uh, but California, Virginia, and New York are already commemorating Kimchi Day separately. And uh, this seems to be becoming a trend worldwide, it looks like. Uh, Earlier this year, a town in London designated Kimchi Day for the first time in Europe. But did you guys actually know that it's not been that long that Korea actually designated its Kimchi Day as a legal anniversary? Mm. It just happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, quite uh, a big news that just after three years in Korea that already other countries in the world are designating this day. Yeah, there's. Uh, we've talked about a number of countries that's actually designating uh, Kimchi Day. We talked about also in uh, Argentina. Uh, mm. Argentina is also kind of uh, passed that. I forgot there was another country that also... Uh, designated uh, November 22nd as uh, Kimchi Day, but uh, not surprising here. Uh, and uh, so as you mentioned, uh, you know, last year they tried to pass it. It actually didn't uh, pass this so following year. And again, a lot of big anniversaries, 120 years since the first uh, Koreans immigrated to the United States uh, through Hawaii is what it is. And we talk about the 70 years of bilateral relations uh, between South Korea and the United States. Uh, speaking of the United States. So we briefly mentioned the turmoil uh, when it comes to voting for the U.S. House of Representatives Speaker. Well, we have now elected Republican Mike Johnson as the Speaker on Wednesday local time, ending the weeks-long standoff that left the chamber uh, unable to respond to the Middle East crisis or carry out any of its basic duties. Uh, Gee, let's get more on this. Sure. So after exactly 22 days of deadlock due to the firing of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the U.S. House of Representatives excuse me, elected Republican rep- Representative uh, Mike Johnson as the new speaker on October 25th local time and securing, securing a majority with 217 votes. Uh, Johnson had the backing of all 220 Republican members with the speaker's position filled. Now the House must address an emergency security uh, appropriation proposed by President Joe Biden to aid Israel and Ukraine. And additionally, the House faces a budget deadline next month with the potential risk of a government shutdown if unmet. Now, in his inaugural address as uh, Speaker, Johnson emphasized restoring trust in the institution and promised transparency, trust and accountability during his tenure. 
although Johnson, a lawyer and staunch conservative, has supported policies like former President Trump's immigration ban, he has not held any notable office uh, since joining Congress in 2017, which some believe may impact his influence as Speaker. Now, uh, the preceding event saw McCarthy ousted over a stopgap measure aimed at preventing a government shutdown. And before Johnson's election, the GOP had nominated three other candidates for the speaker's role. Uh, But then they all withdrew for various reasons. And Johnson's election concludes the search for McCarthy's successor. This... uh I'm telling you, this is, I, I don't know if anyone knows the gravity of selecting or voting in uh, Mike Johnson as the speaker right now. Because if you remember, the representative, uh, the congressman that uh, had pushed for the ousting of Kevin McCarthy mm-hmm. was Matt Gates, And Matt Gates is, he's a far-right conservative. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a, he's a far-right conservative. He felt that uh, Kevin McCarthy wasn't doing his duty as a Republican and so forth, and the Speaker of the House. And so he pushed for the, the ousting of him. And then so after that, there was a huge vacancy, and a lot of people were blaming Matt Gates for kind of leading this without any sort of plan or any kind of blueprint as to who's going to lead the way. And then a lot of uh, candidates who some conservative, right, more conservative Republicans, it's weird calling Republicans conservatives, conservatives, uh, more conservative uh, Republicans were seeing that some of the candidates were rhinos, right, uh, Republican in name only. And Mike Johnson is, he is very, 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 very con- uh, conservative mm-hmm. uh, to the point where he's made a large number of very conserv- uh, controversial comments as well. And to the point where I believe some were saying that it makes Trump uh, seem very progressive. Uh, and so Matt Gates got what he wanted. Is it what the Republicans also want? Uh, it is going to get interesting when, of course, they start negotiating uh, on the, if there is going to be another government shutdown, because it doesn't seem like Mike Johnson is going to be one of those people that's going to listen to what the Biden administration want or what the Democrats want. And so now there is going to be further rift between two rival parties there. Uh, let's move on here. South Korea, the U.S. and Japan on Thursday issuing a statement denouncing North Korea's supply of military equipment to Russia. We knew that this was going to come one day or another. It came. So well, let's get the latest on this. Right. Seoul's foreign ministry said this Thursday that South Korea's foreign minister Park Jin and his U.S. and Japanese counterparts Antony Blinken and Yoko Kamikawa issued a joint statement in which they strongly condemned the, quote, provision of military equipment and munitions by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea or North Korea to the Russian Federation for use against the government and people of Ukraine. So with that uh, claiming their confirmation of the delivery of such military equipment and munitions, in fact, some of the provisions have been confirmed to have been completed, they said. In their statement, uh, they added that the delivery of such arms will significantly increase the human toll of Russia's war aggression. Seoul, Washington and Tokyo vowed to continue to cooperate with the international community to expose Russia's attempts to get in the hands of military equipment from North Korea. Providing weapons to aid Russia's war is not the only concern for these countries that issued the statement. It's also that Pyongyang is believed to get something in return from Moscow, which is the transfer 
developer of nuclear as well as ballistic missile technology. So with that, this would also be against uh, numerous UN Security Council resolutions. So yes, with that, uh, the three have issued the statement uh, against Russia and North Korea. That's right. Now it's a matter of, again, they need tangible evidence is what's going on right now because Russia, despite the fact that it, it, I mean, we can't say that there's clear cut evidence, right? I mean, we just know that there's been about over a thousand containers uh, that went back and forth for different ports in, in North Korea's Najin port and then in Russia and so forth. And it happens to be that the, the ships that uh, Russia is using is often used for military logistics, uh, but there's no way to look inside these containers. And so there is no clear-cut, tangible evidence that there are But maybe they're in in just not revealing that because having this statement today saying that they have confirmed the completion, maybe they have more Right. And so what I was trying to say mm-hmm. is that once that there is the evidence that they're going to be releasing, that there is going to be some sort of sanctions in place. Mm-hmm. But because it can't go through the U.N. Security Council because of obvious veto reasons, right, mm-hmm. there's probably going to be uh, unilateral sanctions, maybe sanctions from the U.S., EU and South Korea is right. what we're looking at. Uh, guys, let's move on to some domestic issues. The Constitutional Court has ruled that the process of directly referring the Broadcasting Act Amendment Bill in the yellow envelope, uh, envelope Act to the plenary session of the National Assembly. This, led by the main opposition, uh, main opposition Democratic Party, is deemed legal. Jihi, let's get more on this. Sure. So earlier today, the Constitutional Court held a pre-trial hearing for two cases of authority dispute review filed by People's Power Party lawmakers from the National Assembly's Legal Affairs and Judicial Affairs Committee. They had filed the cases against the National Assembly Science, Technology, Information, Broadcasting and Communications Committee and the uh, Environment and Labor Committee and the Speaker of the National Assembly. However, the court dismissed all these claims. Now, the cases were related to two bills, the first one being the Amendment to the Broadcasting Act, the Broadcasting and Culture Promotion Act, and the Korea Education and Broadcasting Corporation Act. And we refer to this as the Broadcasting Three Act. And uh, the amendment to Article 2 to 3 of the Trade Union and Labor Relations Adjustment Act, uh, this is known as the Yellow Envelope Mm -hmm. Act. Now, the Broadcasting 3 Act would change the governance structure of public broadcasters like KBS, NBC, and EBS. And the Yellow Envelope Act would limit companies' claim for frivolous damages for losses caused by strikes by unions. Now, according to Article 86 of the National Assembly Act, if a committee has not completed its examination of a bill within 60 days from the date of its referral without reason, the committee may request a plenary vote by at least three-fifths of its members. Uh, And in March, the Democratic Party voted to request a plenary session for the Broadcasting 3 Act in the National Assembly Science, uh, Technology, Information, Broadcasting and Communications Committee. Oh, that's a long name. Um, And the Yellow (laughs) Envelope Act in the National Assembly's Welfare and Labor Committee in May. And each of these demands was voted on in the plenary and formally referred to the plenary. Now, the Democratic Party claimed that the two revised bills met the requirements for a direct referral to the plenary. But then uh, the People's Power, People Power Party filed an authority dispute review claiming that its right to review the bills was violated by direct referral to the plenary. And regarding the Broadcasting 3 Act, 
fact, the Constitutional Court ruled that there was no violation of the National Assembly Act in the act of requesting a plenary session as it was done in compliance with the procedure of Article 86 uh, of the National Assembly Act and its legitimacy was recognized as a voting procedure in the plenary session. And the Constitutional Court also ruled that there was no violation of the National Assembly Act in the act of requesting a uh, plenary session for the other bill as well. Yeah, I mean, it was actually a very busy day over in the Constitutional mm. Court. I mean, it wasn't the only thing that they were covering. They were looking at the pro-labor bill and so forth. Uh, nevertheless, let's move on to other issues. Uh, Korea has to send back a stolen Korean ancient Buddhist statue to Japan. Uh, we briefly talked about this, I believe, uh, a few months ago in one of our programs and one of our segments. Uh, this is following years of court rulings. But so uh, give us a background about this story and to tell us about the latest updates on it as well. Right. It is quite a complex and controversial issue. Yeah. I will try to say it as simply as possible. Uh, Korean media call it actually a Korean Buddhist statue. But I also looked at foreign media like the New York Times that wrote about this this Thursday, which call it a Buddhist statue because uh, currently it is, um, you know, as the court ruling said, it's going to Japan. Uh, right, but it was from... It was originally from Korea, was what right. it is, and I so like mm -hmm. I, that was another controversy mm -hmm. actually that the New York Times was being mm -hmm. overly careful with the mm -hmm. the naming of the statue. Right. But anyways, yeah. So and I, I I really felt like I really wanted to look more into this issue, like really mm -hmm, read mm -hmm. history books, but I, I didn't have enough time today. You know, I came back <laughs> after a month. <laughs> but, however, uh, Korea's Supreme Court, this is the latest, ruled that a Buddhist statue that's currently in Korea's government custody must be returned to a Japanese temple. In Korea, the Busok Temple is claiming ownership to what's believed to be a 14th century Goryeo Dynasty Korean Buddha statue, saying it's originally Korean. Now, going back to where this dispute about the statue began, in 2012, South Korean thieves stole the 50.5 centimeter tall statue from Kannon Temple in Tsushima, Nagasaki Prefecture. And in Japan, until then, it was an important cultural asset for them. Uh, the thieves were caught in Korea as they were trying to sell the artifact. However, Pusok-sa, or Pusok Temple, the Korean temple, claimed that the statue had actually been plundered by Japanese pirates in the past. Mm. And with that, a legal battle began. In 2017, during the first ruling, a district court ruled that Japan had taken away the statue in abnormal ways, so it should be actually returned to Pusok Temple, so to Korea. Mm -hmm. But the decision was overturned later with the reason that Japan was long enough in ownership to call it its own. The final decision now by the Supreme Court cited Japanese civil code that says an object held peacefully and publicly for 20 years is entitled for ownership. Now, Busak Temple denounced the decision with its head monk saying the ruling, quote, essentially legalized the plunder of cultural assets, saying that if you keep the plunder long enough, it becomes yours. So as if I would steal SJ's phone now, right now, and then... Uh, keep it for a long time. Yeah, keep no, it for 20 years, and then I'll just say it's mine because it had I had it for a long time. That, that was a terrible, terrible uh, comparison. <laughs> I, 
I was gonna say, let's say if you stole, let's say, the Mona Lisa, right? One of oh. the most recognizable paintings in the world from the Louvre, and uh, you've Louvre, no, Louvre, <laughs> the American way.、Uh, and so, if you put it in your house and no one's known about this, knew this for twenty years, right? And so, then is it yours, right? I mean, that that's the, that's the controversy beside this, and so. Again, even with the New York Times, like the the way that they described the statue was very controversial because technically, originally, it is from Korea. Right? Would you say the 14th century Korea Dynasty?、Mm. And so, because it was in Korea, it's a Korean Buddhist statue.、Mm. But to say, but I guess I think they're trying to be, make it legal, right? But even if you make it legal and say that it belongs to Japan, it's still not a Japanese Buddhist statue. Right. It was originally from uh, 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 Korea, and so you would still have to say Korean Buddhist statue, but. I wasn't a big fan of what the New York Times said in regards to this.、Uh, let's talk about the economy now, because the country's economy grew at a higher than expected rate on the back of reviving exports and、uh, domestic demand. This, according to South Korean Central Bank and the Bank of Korea.、Uh, however, there are, of course, remaining uncertainties.、Uh, Ji, let's get the details of this. Sure. So South Korea's economy grew by 0.6 percent in the third quarter, marking three consecutive quarters of growth thanks to a rebound in exports. However, there's still a high level of uncertainty due to persistent inflationary pressures and increasing geopolitical risks from external factors. Now, the economy of Asia's fourth-largest economy、uh, grew at the same pace as in the previous quarter and has maintained a growth trend for the third quarter in a row after experiencing a contraction in the last quarter of 2022, the first in two and a half years. But it's uncertain whether the country's economy will meet the central bank's growth projection of 1.4 percent due to high inflation, as well as the Is- Israel-Hamas war in the Middle East,、uh, and this is what the Bank of Korea warned. And according to the director of the Office of Macroeconomic Analysis and Forecasting at the Korea Development Institute, the Korean economy is expected to experience experience a moderate recovery based on the Bank of Korea's forecast. And in the third quarter. Korea's GDP grew by 1.4 percent on an annual basis, following a 0.9 percent increase in the second quarter. Now, in the third quarter,、um, like I said,、uh, exports were the main driver of the country's GDP growth. And according to data from the central bank, the growth in exports was boosted by a recovery in outbound shipments of semiconductors and machinery,、uh, contributing 3.5 percent to the quarterly GDP growth. And net exports made the largest contribution to the GDP growth, adding 0.4 percentage points. And according to Korea's Ministry of Economy and Finance, the country's economy is expected to grow by 0.7 percent due to the fast recovery in exports. Uh, led by、uh, a rebound in memory chip prices, in particular, and this growth is in line with the 1.4 percent projection for annual growth. And private consumption also increased by 0.3 percent due to higher spending on hospitality, leisure, and cultural services. However, it's predicted that inflation concerns will continue to affect consumer sentiment, forecasting a moderate recovery only. Yeah, and that's the big thing, right?、Uh, we're seeing slowly the again the inflation levels rising once more, and we talked about the、uh, the the inflation. Uh, sentiment. What is it? Sent. What is it? What the consumers felt was going to be the inflation moving forward, and they were saying the inflation was going to rise over the next few months now.、Uh, and you see this with the rising、uh, energy costs,、uh, oil costs, uh, and. Uh, 
the other concern now is if the, although I think the FOMC, once they have the meeting uh, by the end of this month, they're leading into November, they're probably going to freeze their rates. They have another policy meeting in December. And the consensus is that they're going to raise it again. And so is the BOK now then going to just sit around and see the gap further uh, widen, or are they going to uh, bump up South Korea's key interest rates as well. And if you raise the key interest rates, then, of course, it's going to lead to a further slowdown in South Korea's economy. So a number of things to look at. But how are top economic policymakers seeing this situation so far? Um, after the BOK's assessment showed that GDP increased 0.6% in Q3, Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho this Thursday said the South Korean economy is on track to meet its growth estimate this year, in particular mentioning the uh, signs of improvement in the semiconductor sector as well as experts having gained ground. He did mention uncertain factors such as the Israel-Hamas conflict, like T mentioned, but had some hopeful words saying Korea's economy has, quote, taken the path of what we forecast. He added that the growth rate could reach maybe 1.3%, uh, saying in conservative terms, or even 1.5% when taking an op- optimistic stance. The finance minister, meanwhile, said uh, last week at his ministry's parliamentary audit that a growth of around 2% is necessary in the fourth quarter of the year so that Korea can reach its 1.4% growth forecast. Let me also refer to statements made by the governor of the Bank of Korea and also during the parliamentary audit of the BOK. BOK Governor Lee Chang-yong earlier this week acknowledged Korea is in a recession when asked about whether Korea has entered a recession given that the growth rate is projected at 1.4%, which is way below the potential growth rate of 2 percent. So not saying that we're at the border, but kind of saying we are in a recession. Mm. But uh, the latter, the potential growth rate also being unprecedentedly low at 1.9 percent, according to OECD forecasts for this year and 1.7 percent next year. And uh, that would be that's actually for the first time that Korea was below 2 percent, according to these data. The potential growth rate or potential GDP is defined as the maximum level of growth that a country can sustain over medium term while maintaining stable inflation. There's also, we talked about uh, worries over rising Fed interest rates, right? And I think given the fact that also not only is South Korea seeing uh, consumer prices rise, uh, the U.S. is also seeing that as well. And so in order, the, 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 the U.S. Fed has long had the target 2%. South Korea has a 2% target as well when it comes to inflation levels. It's far beyond that. It's in the 3% range. Uh, I think they're looking at a more hawkish stance towards interest rate hikes, uh, even going into next year as well. And with all of these concerns, you see South Korea's Cosby index plunging to a 10-month low. You also have the local currency dropping to a three-week low against the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. G, let's get more on the market. Right. Well, the Cosby experienced this, its largest drop of the year, resulting in a return to its level at the beginning of the year. Now, all sectors weakened due to heavy foreign selling, uh, and the Cosby ended at 2,299.08, which is a drop of 64.09 points, or 2.71% from the previous session. Now, this was the first time the index had fallen 
below the 2,300 level in almost 10 months since January 6th, when it closed at 2,289.97. And the index also lost the 2,300 mark within five trading days after the 2,400 mark collapsed on the 20th of January. Now, foreigners sold a net of 479 billion won worth of stocks on the uh, worth of stocks, which dragged the index down. And they also sold a net of 280 billion won in Cosby 200 futures. However, individuals and institutions were net buyers of 300. 2.8 billion won and 105 billion won respectively and at the Seoul foreign exchange market the one dollar exchange rate closed at 1361 which was up 10.31 from the previous trading days close now local stocks came under heavy bearish pressure from foreign sellers on the day as external conditions such as a surge in u.s treasury yields, political uncertainty, such as the election of the uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, and fears of, a, of, a, uh, of an escalation in the Israeli-Palestinian war weighed heavily, and the Cosby's decline was the largest of the year, like I said, breaking the previous record of negative 2.56% recorded during the Silicon Valley Bank crisis, uh, which occurred in March uh, 14th. Boy, it's looking bad right now. Uh Again, a lot of the the foreign investors are pulling out in this. And so even stocks that were considered uh, rising stocks, uh, this is in regards to uh, South Korea's defense industry, or we're talking about the weapons, right? And so a lot of even uh, companies that are mainly, mainly focused on exporting uh, military goods, they've sank a lot. And these were, have been long considered one of the, the rising, as, uh, rising stocks uh, for foreign uh, investors, and they're all pulling out of this right now. And again, uh, once we do see a larger gap between the, uh, the two, uh, central banks in the, the Bank of Korea and the U.S. Fed, you're also going to see uh, the dollar rise and not only are you going to see a, a larger interest over in the United States, people are going to pull out and so it has a huge ripple effect uh, mm -hmm. in regards to this. Uh, let's move on to the U.S. I mean, there's, goodness, um, this is always a, always a big, big concern there. Uh, this is over in Lewiston, Maine. I've never heard of Lewiston. I have heard of the state of Maine. Uh, but uh, this particular area has been in the, uh, the headlines all throughout the day because there was another mass shooting uh, with a gunman killing more than a dozen people, leaving many injured uh, Wednesday local time in that uh, very place. Uh, so uh, tell us uh, what exactly happened over there. Right. Uh, first off, there has not been released an official number of the dead by the authorities in charge. Some reports say at least 22, some say at least 20, others at least 16 or 15. So even the most recent ones, uh, some of them still say that it's at least 16 or 15. Uh, in fact, the commissioner of the Maine Department of Public Safety told reporters there were multiple casualties in shootings in Lewiston. Uh, when asked about the figure, he said he does not have a firm number. Uh, and uh, the reason for that seems uh, that uh, they do not want the numbers to kind of affect any family members or uh, they really want to have accurate numbers before they uh, release them. Uh, so it seems different from other stories that we heard about before. The numbers are coming out a little later than we usually um, are, are more used to. So what happened? A gunman shot and killed 
these at least 15 or we don't know the number uh, people in a bowling alley and restaurant in Lewiston, Maine, Wednesday evening local time. So those were two mass shootings and they started a little before 7 p.m. Eyewitnesses say they saw people running away from the bowling alley and uh, CNN cited multiple law enforcement sources that said 50 to 60 were injured in this incident. Uh, The man fled, and this is the big concern right now, Uh, He's still not being caught. Hundreds of officers are in search for him. Uh, Residents are locked in their homes in fear. Uh, It's really like a lockdown currently in that region. But a man that could be behind the act is 40-year-old Robert Card. Police identified him as a person of interest in the shooting, saying he should be, quote, considered armed and dangerous. He is believed to be in the Army Reserve and a firearms instructor who's been trained by the military. According to a state police bulletin, he recently was admitted at a mental health facility as he reported mental health issues earlier this year. You know, um, I think the definition of a mass shooting is if uh, four or five or more people are killed in, mm-hmm. in a shooting. Uh, in the United States, uh, that last shooting we just talked about over in Maine is the 36th mass shooting, uh, mass kidding, killing uh, this year in the United States. This year. And this year alone. This, just this year. Yeah. Only this year. Uh, and of course, if you go under that level, uh, it's not considered mm-hmm. a, you know, a mass shooting, but we have other figures in regards to this. And despite the fact that assault rifles, semi-automatic assault rifles continue to be the main reasons for these mass shootings, uh, it's not going to change over in the United States because there's this thing called lobbying in the United States and the NRA, uh, multi-billion dollar industry. They're, they're continuing going to lobby the lawmakers and they're not going to make any changes is the unfortunate thing. Mm. Is, and we're going to continue to talk about this, unfortunately. Guys, thank you very much uh, for joining us for the report. So welcome back and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank see you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.